that of a shepherd. And so he would look at life and look at the people of God through that lens and interpret what he saw and the decisions he made based on a shepherd's heart that he had as a boy. The fact is, David saw the Lord as his shepherd. And he saw the Lord with the same kind of love and care and leadership that he had demonstrated himself as a shepherd. A shepherd is the model of leadership throughout the scripture. When you study the Bible, the model leadership is that of a shepherd. When you understand the role, the duties and responsibilities of a shepherd, when you understand the nature and makeup of a sheep, then it's, un it's more easy to understand uh, the relationship we have with the Lord, our Father, and to see him indeed as our shepherd. You see, a shepherd's role was a very relational leader, a very relational leader, a leader that knew the names of each sheep, a leader that was very involved with the, with the care and the health of every single sheep. A shepherd was also a serving, a very hardworking, a giving, sharing kind of a leader, and ultimately a very sacrificial kind of a leader. This is the kind of leader that God is for all of us. He's very relational. He knows us individually and personally. He's very caring and looks after everything in our lives he's concerned about. And he's, of course, very sacrificial. You may also remember that when Jesus Christ came, he declared himself to be the good shepherd that would ultimately give his life for the sheep. So Christ our Lord is our shepherd. And he is watching out over us, caring for us like a shepherd would care for his sheep. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, he is the chief shepherd and he is the overseer or the bishop of our souls. So he cares about every feature and facet of our lives. He cares about our health, our happiness. He cares about our dreams and our goals, our family and our marriages and our children. Everything that matters to us matters to God. He is the good shepherd over our lives. But remember, a shepherd is a leader, not just a servant, but a servant leader. And the shepherd leads the sheep. Sheep are of such a nature that they follow. Cattle are of a different nature. We drive cattle. We get behind them, and through intimidation, we force them to go where we might want them to go. But a shepherd-sheep relationship is entirely different. You cannot force sheep. You must lead sheep. And so the shepherd simply calls them, and they choose to follow. God is our leader. Christ is our Lord. But we follow him willingly. The nature of a sheep is to follow their leader. But the nature of a human being is to rebel. It's just not in us to do what we're told. It's not in us to do what someone else has asked us to do. We have a tendency to rebel. We want to do our own thing. We want to do something different. The fact is, um, we have to cancel that inborn propensity to rebel and learn how to be followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to learn how to be followers. 
As a matter of fact, that's what those that were with Jesus were called. They were called followers. That simply means that we submit our heart and life to the Lord, we learn from Him, and we follow His leading and teaching in our lives. But throughout life, we have to continually suppress that urge to rebel and do our own thing and submit our will to God and say, Lord, I am your follower. I am going to follow you wherever you want me to go to do whatever you want me to do, and I will abstain from those things you've asked me not to do because I am a follower. I wonder how many followers we have here today. Are you a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ? So first of all, David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's my leader. Secondly, he said that he would lead us to green pastures and still waters, and he would provide for us the things that we need in life. As a child of God, we look to God as our provider. We look to God as the one that gives us the opportunities to earn livings to buy the things we need for our families. We look to God as our provider. Now, it doesn't eliminate the need for work and good stewardship. We have to be accountable and be productive, and we have to manage our money very well. But God, our provider, said, I will give you the opportunity. I will give you the ability, and I will bless the work of your hands so that you can be prosperous and productive and you will not lack, but you will have what you need. God is our provider. But as I said, living for Christ is worry-free, but it's not work-free. Jesus taught this in Matthew 6, 31. Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, they'll be added unto you. So it's about priorities. It's about putting God and his kingdom first in our lives and believing that God is going to cause those other things that we all need to come into play. So don't worry. Don't fret. Just trust in God. He is your provider. He's not only my provider, but he's also my protector. The psalm would go on to say, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Remember, David is a shepherd. He's looking through that lens. And he remembers the time when he was all alone in the wilderness with those small group of sheep. And all he had was just a rod and a staff and maybe a sling. And all around those sheep were vicious predators like lions and bears and all other kinds of of uh, predators that would try to steal and eat the sheep. It was up to David to protect them. And he said, my God protects me in the same way that I protected the sheep. He watches over me so that the sheep can eat in peace, live life in contentment, and can live without worry or fear that something is going to happen to me. He is watching over me, and he is caring for every area of my life. He is the good shepherd. He is my protector. Later, David would write the 34th Psalm, these words, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and delivers them out of all their trouble. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and save such as have a contrite spirit. 
Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. Can you say amen? So we have a promise of protection from our Heavenly Father. And we live under the, the shadow of His wings. We live under the covering of God. And we know that He is watching out for us and protecting us. David so rightfully said, many are the afflictions of the righteous. So living under God's covering and protection is not problem-free. It's not worry-free. And it, it isn't without difficulty. But whatever we're going through, we know that God's hand is upon us and He's going to get us through it successfully and victoriously. Can you say amen? amen? Now, in this setting, David said that the Lord prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, when you study the culture of, of um, Israel, a prepared table uh, was not a casual thing. It would be like a dinner or a banquet where heads of state would gather and to discuss business and the affairs of nations. When he says prepare a table for me, it isn't just a casual lunch, it's not a fast food meal, but it is an ordered event where important things are going to happen. And so David said he prepares a table for me. It represented the fact that the parties at the table were going to be with peace at, with the host, that they were going to come under the protection of the host. In those days, if someone sat at your table and ate, it was your obligation to protect them, and their enemies could not harm them as long as they were sitting at your table, because being in relationship with them demanded that you care for them, that you watch out over them, and de defend them, if need be, against their enemies. And so David saw himself sitting at the table that the Lord had prepared, a place of peace, a place of provision, and a place of protection. But recognizing that at the table, there were enemies. So he prepares a table for David, but his enemies show up. You know, you and I live in enemy territory. There is a dangerous element about life. There is an element of life that is somewhat fragile. You know, things can go wrong and things can happen, and a precious uh, marriage that you have built can fall apart. Children that you've raised can take a wrong turn. A business or a career that you have carefully invested yourself in and pursued can suddenly take a downturn. Things can happen in life. It's a dangerous world that we live in, and there are enemies everywhere. So it's a contradiction when David said, I'm sitting at a table that the Lord has prepared. He's providing and he's protecting me, but yet all of my enemies are around me. That's the picture of what the life that you and I live. We have a loving Heavenly Father that cares about us and provides for us and protects us, and yet there are enemies all around, and they're looking for the slightest opportunity, the slightest opportunity to do us harm and do us damage. So we're sitting at a table, but our enemies are there as well. Satan is our primary enemy. The Bible teaches that um, he is out to get us. No, no doubt about it. John, in, when Jesus was teaching in John chapter 10 about the shepherd and the sheep, he likens himself to the good shepherd and he says, the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life, 
that you may have it more abundantly. So Jesus compares himself to the good shepherd as opposed to a thief. He said, now I'm the good shepherd, but the thief comes in to steal, kill, and destroy. And with those three words, we have the intent and the purposes of Satan. His desire is to steal the things you love, the things you've worked for, the things God has given you. He wants to steal those from you so you cannot enjoy them anymore. He wants to kill. He's, he, he wants to destroy. He wants to take from us the things that we love, the things that we need, the things that God has given us. So we're living in enemy territory. Now today when you parked your vehicle and walked into church, before you left the vehicle, you probably locked your doors. Maybe before you left your home today, you punched in the code and you put a, an alarm in your house. It wasn't that you live in fear. It wasn't that you live afraid that you're going to lose your automobile or lose your home. You just realize that there are thieves in the world and you better lock your vehicle even if you come to church. And you might have to lock your home when you leave because we live in a dangerous environment and there are people around that are trying to destroy us. So that's the posture of every child of God. We understand that God loves us, that he cares for us, he's protecting us. But we lock the doors and we keep our guards up because we know that there is a thief and he's looking for an opening and looking for an opportunity to attack us. It's just the smart way to live. And so David said, he has prepared a table for me. So here I am at the table, and this is my seat. But around me, my enemies have gathered, and they too have a seat at the table. The first enemy I want to talk to you about is my past. Sometimes our past can be an enemy at our table. It could be something that happened when you were a child that you really had no uh, discretion about. Could be something that happened as a teenager or a college student or somewhere thereafter. It could be even some regretful choice you made just a day or two ago. But our past can become an enemy to our future. The devil wants us to major on our faults, our failures, our sin, and our regrets. He would like for us just to camp around those and revolve around yesterday over and over again and badger and beat us to death with our past. But you know, Jesus Christ came to forgive us of our sin, forgive us of our past, and to purge our conscience. I want to talk to you about your conscience for just a few moments. We all have one, and they're a wonderful part of the way that God made us. And so if I make a regretful decision or I make a wrong turn or I do something that I know is wrong, my conscience is there to hold me accountable, to say, hey, you know better than that. That wasn't right. You can't do that. To keep me up at night, to make sure I can't be at peace with myself. My conscience is there to help keep me in the right way. But after I realize that I've done something wrong and it's not right and not pleasing to God, I go to God and I ask God to forgive me of that sin, forgive me of that failure, and he purges my conscience. At that point, the conscience has to lay down, sit down and shut up. Sometimes after you've been forgiven of your sin and you put that behind you, 
your conscience will keep coming back and coming back, badgering you about something that you regret, something that Jesus has forgiven, the blood has cleansed, it's covered, it's done and over with, but your conscience can keep coming back and badgering you and beating you down, and the past becomes your enemy. But God has made a way for our consciences to be purged and cleansed so that we're not continually bombarded. We just have to learn how to put our past behind us and move on. We cannot change yesterday, but we can change tomorrow. We can learn from our mistakes, and we can do better tomorrow. But we have to learn how to let the past be the past. You know, God takes my sin and yours, and the Bible gives us a word picture. It says, He cast our sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't know how far the east is from the west. It's infinity. Then he said he cast it in the sea of forgetfulness. You know, God has the ability to delete things from his memory bank. Have you ever thought about God's memory bank? Have you ever thought about how God never loses a bit of information or knowledge for billions of years of history and all through creation and all of man history with all the billions of people roaming the planet? Every bit of information God stores in his memory bank. And he can recall it at any time. I have billions of things stored in my memory bank. I just can't recall it. But God has, a, has the ability to delete things from this awesome memory bank. He can just delete things. Like when I come to him and I ask him to forgive me of my sin and I come to him humbly before God, he just hits delete and it's gone. It's like it's not there anymore. Of all the, the, the billions of bits of information and volumes of data that he can hold, he has the ability just to erase my sin and yours. And it's like never happened. Now, I don't have that delete button. I have a problem with recall. I don't have a problem. I don't have a delete button. God didn't take the memory of my past failure away from me. He let me keep it. He let me keep it so I could learn from it. He let me keep it so I would remember where I was and be more thankful for where I am. He let me keep it so I wouldn't get puffed up and proud. He let me keep it so that I would be humble before him and I would have compassion for other people that might make similar mistakes. So he let us keep it. He didn't let us delete it. He let us keep it. But our past must never be a hindrance. It must never be an enemy that overcomes us. It must be something we learn from and so that we might be more effective in the future. If you've been facing the enemy of your past, I believe there is a grace here today to, re to help you defeat the hindrance of yesterday and liberate you to be all that God would have you to be in the future. Let's see what other enemies have come to the table that God has prepared. The second enemy is the flesh. What is the flesh? It's a biblical term. You have to know what the Bible means when it talks about the flesh. In certain cases, it just means, you know, flesh and bone. It just means a human body. But more than that, the flesh is referred to as our propensity to sin against God, to do things that are not right and healthy or helpful. It's that propensity, that craving in us. You see, the Bible teaches that all of us 
were born in sin, we were shaped or formed in iniquity. That when the most innocent child is born, they still have the, the seed of sin in them because we're all sons of Adam. And Adam passed through all of us that seed of sin. So the youngest child that I held up today is so innocent and so pure, but in that child is the seed of sin. It's a nature of sin, a nature of rebellion, a nature, a propensity to do the wrong things rather than the right things. That's what the flesh is. It's that inborn propensity to do the wrong things even when you want to do the right things. So one of the enemies that are always at our table is the enemy of the flesh. Those cravings, those desires, those propensities in us to do what is contrary to the law of God, contrary to what is good and health, healthy and righteous. It's an enemy. Now Paul said that the way he dealt with his flesh, he put it to death on a daily basis. Every day he had to put that flesh to death. He, and what he meant by that was not take the life of his own human body, but he meant kill the expression of that flesh. Deny the, the desire of that flesh. Discipline that flesh. Make sure that that flesh is not having an expression and is controlling life. So one of the great enemies we face is the enemy of the flesh, that propensity that all of us have to do the wrong thing. Now, you know, I, I'm a grown man with grandchildren, and I've been living for the Lord a long, long time. But I can tell you that my propensity for sin is still in me. And the moment I think it isn't is the moment I'm likely to have a problem. Because it's not like if you live for God long enough, you shouldn't have any problem with the flesh. And if you read the Bible enough and you study it and you learn it, and oh man, you just won't have any problem with the flesh. I, I wish that was the way it was. I wish this was a class you could graduate from, and then once you graduated from, you're done with it, like never again. No. It's just simply not that way. At the table that God has prepared is the enemy of the flesh. And we have to learn how to deny the flesh and say yes to the Holy Spirit and the right things in life. Let's see what other enemies might be at the table. Here's one. Temptation. Anybody familiar with temptation? Well, certainly you are because we have a flesh and, um, you know, we have to deal with temptation. We have to understand that um, it's a fact in life. Listen to what Paul wrote concerning temptation in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted more than what you're able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So another thing is not going away is temptation. And one of the great things is to recognize temptation when it's happening. One of the great things is to be able to say, I think I'm being tempted right now. I think right now the devil's trying to talk me into doing something that I don't want to do and I know better than to do. I think right now I'm in temptation. Because sometimes we skate through a temptation not realizing what is actually going on. Temptation is, 
is a combination of things that make us want to do the wrong thing. That make us desire things that are not godly and holy. It's temptation. And it doesn't matter what the temptation is for. It could be something small, something spiritually insignificant like eating too much sugar. Oh yeah, I went there on you today, didn't I? (laughs) Or it could be something very sinful and very against the laws of God and very hurtful to you in your life. So temptation can be something insignificant or something quite significant. And sometimes we, we recognize the the big temptations to do really bad things, but we overlook the small temptations and call them insignificant. So it's helpful if we can just recognize temptation when it comes against us. It could be temptation to be unforgiving, to hold a grudge, to be perpetually angry at someone, to blame others. It could be a temptation to be envious, and resent someone else's good fortune. So there's so many temptations. You could just go on and on. Life is full of them. But we have to learn to recognize temptation when it's happening and understand that all the temptations you and I are going through, it's common to man. It's not like you're in a unique situation and you've got a lot of temptation that nobody else has had. No, it's really not that way. We all are subject to a myriad of temptations. And if we don't give in to those temptations, we win and they go away. But if we give in to those temptations, it starts to enslave us to that behavior, that attitude, that condition. And every time we say yes to temptation, it's like another chain is wrapped around our lives. And every time we give in to it, it's like another set of handcuffs is put on us. Because after a while, when you've said yes, yes, yes to temptation, it becomes a bondage. Every sin has an ingredient of bondage. What that means is when you first commit the sin, it's a choice. You made a choice. You know, you decided to. But then after a while, when you realize it's wrong and you want to stop, you can't. Because sin has a a bondage connected to it. So the longer we do something wrong, the more difficult, if not impossible, it is to break that, that habit. But the good news is, God is on our side. Jesus himself was tempted. He knows what it's like. He gets it. And he's right there with us to help us overcome that temptation. It isn't like a battle I fight alone. It isn't like a struggle that's just me and the enemy, but it's me and God and the enemy because he's right there with me to help me. When Jesus was tempted, the Bible says that he would simply quote a verse of Scripture, and from that verse of Scripture, he was able to turn that temptation around. So as you and I study the Scripture and we learn portions of God's Word, we use those portions to help us in unique temptations. You see, if you have a certain temptation and you have a Bible verse to go with it, that becomes your great weapon against that temptation. And it strengthens you and encourages you and helps you to live victorious in life. So never feel like that, well, I'm being tempted. I must be an evil person. No, if you're being tempted, you're just a person. Because we're all tempted in the same kind of ways. But God promises he won't put on us more than we will bear. He'll always make a way of escape. So when I'm tempted, I want the strength to say no and end the temptation. 
and I want a way of escape. Sometimes if you're in a, a vulnerable situation, if you just get out of that situation, the temptation goes away. And that's why the writer said he will make a way of escape so you're no longer in that vulnerable situation. If you're a young man or an old man, you've got to learn how that there are situations in which I am vulnerable. I have to be careful as a man. Don't put myself in vulnerable positions because at times temptation becomes so strong you can't overcome it. So when you know that in that environment, in that time, in that situation with that person or those people or whatever I'm doing, I'm vulnerable to temptation. You've got to find a way of escape and get out of that situation and then learn how to avoid it so that temptation will not overcome you. God said, I'll give you a way to escape. Can you say amen? Let's see who else is at the table. Well, the world showed up. The world showed up. Now, again, this is a Bible term. Uh, sometimes the world just means the planet. But more often, the world means the system of the world. The belief system, the value system, the way of operating, the way the world functions. And so today, we have television, and we watch sitcoms, we watch movies, and uh, we watch things on the internet. And someone else that we don't even know, we don't know what kind of life they live, what kind of belief system they have, but they're teaching us the norm. This is how you conduct marriage. This is how you be single. This is how you're a child and how you relate to your parents. And so we watch television, and television is teaching us the way of the world. So most of us here in this room will have watched dozens of hours of television this past week. And I have about 35 minutes. The world is wrong. And if you do everything the world does, and what's popular now, and the belief systems, the value system, the manner of life, if you do everything the world does, you're going to, does, you're going to end up with the same problems the world has. So be careful that you don't follow in the pathway of the world. Let me give you some verse to strengthen that. Romans 12 and 2. Paul said, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Here's another verse from the Apostle John, chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all things that is in the world, and then he lists some of them, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Lust is strong desire, controlling desire. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said that's not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. So the world as we see it and we know it is passing away. But those that follow Christ abide forever. Can you say amen? amen? Now let me move on. Let's see, I've got another enemy down here at the table. This is Satan or the devil. Okay, he's a real guy. He's an actual being. 
He's not eternal, but he existed before the human race and continues throughout the book of Revelation throughout time. He's a bad dude. There's no good inside of him. He's the father of lies. His desire is to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates you. He hates me. He even hates people that are on his team. It isn't like he hates all the believers. He hates all the unbelievers too. Matter of fact, he hates everything that belongs to God. He hates everything that is good in the planet. And he is a real guy. He is a dude that doesn't like you or anything good. And he's out to destroy you. Now there is a, a philosophy today where the devil's not a real being. All that's a lie. Either believe the Bible or believe modern philosophy. But it's a lie. The, the devil is a real dude. Now... Sometimes we put God and the devil, you know, like head to head. No, not at all. Uh, the devil's not in God's category. You see, the devil is a created being, and God is, a, is the creator. So they're not on the same level. They're just on opposing teams. And he's real. As sure as there is a God, there's a devil. And he is against us, and he is the enemy of our soul. Let me read something to you from the Apostle Peter, chapter 5. Be sober, be, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. The reason a lion roars is because he is hungry. And the more hungry he is, the more he roars. And the devil is like a hungry lion roaring and he's looking for prey. That would be you and me. He goes on to say, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same suffering are experienced by the brotherhood in all the world. So the Bible teaches that the devil is real and that he's like a hungry lion and he's just going throughout the earth seeing who can devour and destroy why would anybody want to be on the devil's team? Why would anybody want to follow the devil? Why would anybody want to listen to the devil? Well, he's a deceiver, and he comes deceptively with smooth words that seem to make sense, and he appeals to our carnal flesh and our nature, and he, makes, he paints such a picture. He's the salesman of all salesmen, but he's also the liar of all liars. And we have to learn the voice of the devil. Inside of me, there are multiple voices. First of all, I have a voice. Me. Inside my head, I have a voice. God has a voice. God whispers into the voice of my, with his voice into my spirit. And after, from my spirit, it comes into the, across the screen of my mind. So I hear the voice of God in my heart. And then there's the voice of the enemy, the voice of the devil. And his voice is in our head. We have to learn how to discern the voices. Sometimes I need to say, mm, that was me right there. No, that was mine. I thought that up by myself. And sometimes you got to realize, you know, that was the devil telling me that. It sounded good. It smelled good. It felt good. It seemed good. But that was the devil there. I know he's just trying to trick me. And then there's that gentle, small voice of God. God uses fewer words than all the others. He just uses short sentences that are power-packed, life-changing, and revelatory in every way. 
And every child of God has the ability to hear the voice of God deep in their heart. We have to learn how to segregate those voices and know which thoughts are generated by myself, which are generated by God, and which are generated by the devil himself. And once we get that figured out, it gives us an upper hand. We got the advantage because we just know that everything the devil says is a lie. And we just know everything he says is not going to work out good for me. I don't care how good it sounds. It's not ever going to work out good for me. Because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He's like a roaring lion. He just wants to eat me. Destroy me. And so we can discern those voices in our head. It puts us in a powerful, powerful position. You know, but as long as I'm at the Lord's table, I'm going to be safe. It's going to be all right. Because it's the Lord's table. He's my shepherd, my leader, my provider, my protector. And he's on my side. Everything's going to be all right. David closes that psalm by saying, You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. From these verses, I learned that, first of all, David was very confident in his relationship with God. Very confident in his relationship with God. I learned that David was committed to God. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit at this table. I'm going to live in the house of the Lord forever. I'm, I'm in this thing for good. It's not temporary. And then we learn from these verses that David was just resting in God. There's a place you can get where you can just rest in God, just trust in God, believing in God. It's not a life problem-free, not a life without difficulty or trial, but it's just a place where you, you're resting in the relationship you have with God. You're just at peace with you and God, at peace with what's going on in your life. There is a place of rest, and maybe we'll talk about that another time. One final verse, and I'm done. Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side, David said. The Lord is on my side. So I thought I'd just leave you with this last great truth. The Lord's on your side. I mean, even when I do things wrong, the Lord's still on my side. Even when I'm in a battle, the Lord's on my side. When I'm sick or broke, the Lord's on my side. When I'm doing good or I'm doing bad, the Lord's on my side. Never think that God is on the devil's side. He's never on the devil's side. You just stay on the Lord's side and you'll be on the right side. The Lord is on my side. He'll always be there to help me whatever enemy I face. And if I fall prey to one of these enemies, I know he will forgive me. I'll find mercy in him, and he'll give me the strength to overcome. Because I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Thank can you say amen. amen. Thank the Lord. You can close your Bibles now. May I ask you to bow your heads? And... <clears throat> Thank you very much. Father God, I have felt your nearness throughout this service. We're honored, humbled, and in complete awe of you. We're unworthy to even stand before you, but we do so with thanksgiving and praise. pray, Lord, that in these closing moments that your voice would be heard in the hearts of every person here today. Speak to them a unique message of your love and goodness. I pray, Lord, that 
their awareness of you and your reality would become huge, just huge in their Make yourself known to each and every one of us. Lord, I thank you that in your presence there's mercy and forgiveness. No condemnation, no wrath, mercy and forgiveness. Cover each of us with mercy and forgiveness. Give us victory over every enemy that we're facing. Cause us to be the people that you created us to be. For your glory, for your honor, for the sake of your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' name. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come forward now. These are people that would like to pray with you. If you'll just simply come down and share with them some tidbit about what you'd like for us to pray with, just kind of a generality, certainly no details or personal things. Let us pray with you. God answers prayer. And uh, if you need help about any area or situation you're in, area of your life or situation you're in, let us pray with you. See what God will do with you today. If you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, become a follower of Jesus, this is a great opportunity today. Just say, I want to follow Jesus. I want him to live in my heart and be the Lord of my life. I want him to forgive me of my past and show me what he has for me in the future. You may have made that decision some earlier time in your life and then subsequently made other decisions that kind of got you off track a little bit. Boy, this is a great time to get right back on track with God. Great time just to get back on track with God. Get right back where you need to be. This altar is open for you to come, and we'll pray for you. Just come forward to any of these people you choose and just say, hey, pray for me. I, I want to get back on track with God. Now, while I was teaching, it seemed like there was a couple of times there that I, I made a statement that really rang true for certain people. It's kind of like when you, you put a coin in a Coke machine, and it goes, click, and you know you're fixing to get a Coke. You just know it's coming out. I had that, that same kind of feeling at several points in this teaching this morning. And if, if God touched you with that word, let us pray with you and ask God to give you victory in that area here this morning. Would you do that? So you can just come forward. Um, as a shepherd, I look across this congregation from side to side. Some of you's faces came really strong before me. Um, some of you just kind of had like had a light on you. And while I was teaching today, I kept going back to you. And I really know that, that the Lord wants to touch you. Some of you, I kind of have an idea of what area it is. Some of you, I don't really know. It doesn't matter. But I just feel like there's people here today that need prayer. And you know what it's for. This altar is open. You're welcome to come. Let's stand. And anybody that needs prayer ministry, you're welcome to come. This is not about church membership. It's not about doctrine or anything like that. It's just about, do you need help from God? We'll pray for you. As you can see, people are coming down, and uh, we're just going to join hands with them a minute and pray over them. And God's going to help them because he's a good God, and he wants to. It's his great pleasure to. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. That's it. We have some more here if you want to come forward. 
Wherever you are, you're certainly welcome. God bless you so much. It's a delight. It's a delight to have all these wonderful people coming forward for prayer and ministry. Thank you, Jesus. It's been such a joy being with you today. Thanks for being a part of Triumph Church. A great day for my family. Thank you for being a part of that. Great day for this house. I want to pray a blessing over you and you may be dismissed. May the Lord bless and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and give you peace. May he be gracious toward you. The Holy Spirit overshadow you and keep you, guard you and guide you and bless you in every area of your life. May you indeed be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. May the joy of the Lord be your strength and may happiness be the road you walk. I pray this by faith in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. We look forward to seeing you again.